Our first text is from the book of Joshua, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Joshua, Nun's son, secretly sent two men as spies from Shittim. He said, Go, look over the land, especially Jericho. They set out and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab. They bedded down there. Someone told the king of Jericho, Men from the Israelites have come here tonight to spy on the land. So the king of Jericho sent word to Rahab, Send out the men who came to you, the ones who came to your house, because they have come to spy on the entire land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. Then she said, Of course the men came to me, but I didn't know where they were from. The men left when it was time to close the gate at dark, but I don't know where the men went. Hurry, chase after them. You might catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the flax stalks that she had laid out on the roof. The men from Jericho chased after them in the direction of the Jordan up to the fords. As soon as those chasing them went out, the gate was shut behind them. Before the spies bedded down, Rahab went up to them on the roof. She said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land. Terror over you has overwhelmed us. The entire population of the land has melted down in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea in front of you when you left Egypt. We have also heard of what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites on the other side of the Jordan. You utterly wiped them out. We heard this, and our hearts turned to water. Because of you, people can no longer work up their courage. This is because the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Now, I have been loyal to you, so pledge to me by the Lord that you in turn will deal loyally with my family. Give me a sign of good faith. Spare the lives of my father, mother, brothers, and sisters, along with everything they own. Rescue us from death. The men said to her, we swear by our own lives to secure yours. If you don't reveal our mission, we will deal loyally and faithfully with you when the Lord gives us the land. So she lowered the spies on a rope through the window. Her house was on the outer side of the city wall, and she lived inside the wall. Then she said to them, go toward the highlands so that those chasing you don't run into you. Hide there for three days until those chasing you return, then you may go on your way. The men said to her, we won't be responsible for this pledge you made us swear unless, when we come into the land, you tie this red woven cord in the window through which you lowered us. Gather your father, your mother, your brothers, and your whole family into the house with you. Those who go outside the doors of your house into the street will have only themselves to blame for their own deaths. We won't be responsible. If anyone lays a hand on those who are with you in the house, we will take the blame for their death. But if you reveal our mission, we won't be responsible for this pledge you made us swear. She said, these things will happen just like you said. She sent them away and they went off. Then she tied the red cord in the window. The spies went out and entered the highlands 
They stayed there for three days until those chasing them came back. Those chasing them had searched all along the road but never found them. Then the two men came back down from the highlands. They crossed the Jordan and came to Joshua, Nun's son. They told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has definitely given the entire land into our power. In addition, all of the land's population has melted down in fear because of us. Our second reading is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 21, verses 28 to 32. What do you think? A man had two sons. He went to the first and said, son, go and work in the vineyard today. He answered, I will not. But later he changed his mind and went. The father went to the second and said the same, and he answered, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? They said, the first. Jesus said to them, truly I tell you, the tax collectors and the prostitutes are going into the kingdom of God ahead of you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes believed him. And even after you saw it, you did not change your minds and believe him. The word of the Lord. So last Sunday, we looked together at the first chapter of the book of Joshua. We looked at that great call and commission God placed on Joshua, son of Nun, called to be the successor of Moses to lead God's people from where they were, east of the Jordan, across over into the land of Canaan. God also instructed Joshua to hold tight to God's law and commandments along the way, and God promised to be with Joshua wherever he went. And we saw after that how Joshua said, okay, and he sent out word to the people through the officers, get ready, in three days we cross to the Jordan. But then we get to chapter 2, and the text Tiffany just read, and you notice a strange things happen. Suddenly the camera shifts its focus away from Joshua, the one who is named after, for whom this book is named, and he sort of leaves the stage. The spotlight of the book of Joshua turns decidedly away from Joshua, son of Nun, and it turns instead squarely on the most unexpected protagonist in a drama we thought was about the ancient people of Israel. The focus, as chapter 2 unfolds, lands squarely on a Canaanite, a member of a people notorious, we read back in Deuteronomy, for their wickedness and for being decidedly other than the people Moses led. But that's who takes the stage in chapter 2, a Canaanite woman. This is how one artist imagines her, and many artists have imagined what Rahab might have been like. And not only does the focus rest on the Canaanite woman, but Lord have mercy, did you catch in Tiffany's reading that Rahab is a prostitute? I know there's young people in the congregation today, and I'm sorry about that, but it's in your Bibles too, in black and white. For Rahab's profession is right there, and it's an important detail. Her profession indicates on one hand that Rahab is probably quite poor. In times both ancient and modern, poverty is often linked 
to prostitution. People generally become sex workers around the world, either one, because they're forced into it, or two, because poverty leaves them few other options. We surmise from this Rahab was likely very poor. But there's a second implication of Rahab's profession, and that is that she was likely shunned by polite society in Jericho. It's no accident that her house is located on the outskirts near the wall itself. And so with Rahab, we have a portrait of just about the last person you would think would be an exemplar of faithfulness to God, a Canaanite prostitute. And yet, is it just me Or is it precisely this woman, Rahab, who saves the day for these scouts and thus helps God and the people bring down the king of Jericho? Is it just me or does the grand confession of faith we read in chapter 2, the great faith confession of the book of Joshua, the first one we come to, does it come not from one of those two Israelite spies Joshua had sent, but rather from the mouth of Rahab? Is it just me or is the exemplar of the very courage God had called Joshua and the Hebrew people to take up in chapter 1, is it not on display in a Canaanite prostitute? Is it just me or is the first true hero in Joshua not Joshua, but Rahab? Can you imagine for the ancient people of Israel a more unexpected heroine? It's a fascinating story and one we do find emerging time and again in history, literature, story, and song, the unlikely female protagonist, the unexpected heroine, the surprising woman the world would have thought had no major role to play in the drama of kings and rulers. And yet from off stage, from a town or house far from the corridors of power, she enters the scene. And she doesn't bring with her great wealth or a lofty political title, sometimes she comes from abject poverty, but with their brave words and actions, a story turns. Think of non-fiction stories, Allie told of Hermione, but think too of Katniss Everdeen from the Hunger Games trilogy. You remember her, right? As the trilogy begins, Katniss was 16 years old from a coal mining district, the poorest in the autocratic nation of Panem. She was practically the last person you would think would enter the national spotlight and threaten to bring down the ruler of Panem, and yet that unlikely heroine proves the very portrait of courage, and on her words and action the story turns. Or if you prefer, think of Lucy Pavenzi, the eight-year-old girl who thought she and her siblings were far in a house and life away from the rise and fall of kings and queens in C.S. Lewis's The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. But after she unexpectedly enters a wardrobe and finds herself then transported into the land of Narnia, suddenly she's a key protagonist in challenging the queen of that land and her winter reign. A queen is dethroned in that story by that unlikely heroine. Think of little orphan Annie of the comics and musical unexpectedly landing in a room with President Theodore Roosevelt and according to that fictional story inspires him to craft a new deal. Think of true stories from recent history, like that of African-American seamstress who in December of 1955, after a long day of work at a Montgomery department store, chose to simply stay seated on a bus rather than give up her seat to an Anglo-American male, though the law at the time required her 
to do so. Parks later wrote of that moment, people always say that I didn't give up my seat because I was tired, but that isn't true. I was not tired physically or no more tired than I usually was at the end of a working day. I was not old, although some people have an image of me as being old then. I was 42. No, the only tired I was was tired of giving in. And you know the story history tells that that refusal launched the Montgomery bus boycott, which proved a crucial turning point in the civil rights struggle in this country. A nation can turn by the words and actions, the word no, of one surprising heroine. And now admit it, friends, this last week, haven't you found the news riveting? Haven't you been fascinated with the story unfolding in our papers, whether you were hoping for the confirmation of Brett Kavanaugh as Associate Supreme Court Justice or hoping against his confirmation? Wasn't it fascinating to see the story take the dramatic twists and turns it did, not as a, as a result of the testimony of a senator, a congressman, or judge, but by someone we would expect to be, well, pretty far from the central corridors as executive, legislative, or judicial power. This past week, the spotlight was on a woman unknown to most people, certainly to me, before this month, at least to those outside of Palo Alto University in the field of statistical models for research in psychology. Christine Blasey, who also goes by her married name, Christine Ford, and yet her words and courage in speaking them seemed as a nation watched to hold the power to unseat a potential Supreme Court justice. No wonder people of various political parties and leanings watched and listened with rapt attention as the camera and microphones fell on the most unexpected protagonist in a nation's drama. But really, it is an old story, isn't it? A story emerging time and again of history turning for good or for ill with one woman unexpectedly taking the stage and impacting the story of a people. And the most surprising of such figures, the quintessential surprising heroine, has to be Rahab. She's the one in the time of Joshua you would least expect to impact the rise and fall of kings. She was a woman where the common assumption was that it was men who made history. She was a Canaanite in a story we thought was about God's glorious destiny for the people of Israel, and Canaanites were their enemies, and Rahab was an unlikely heroine because she was a prostitute, an occupation associated not only with poverty but sin, sex, and shame. Joshua, he was destined for greatness, right? The stuff of heroism. But Rahab? Rahab. And yet there it is, in your Bible and in mine. This most unlikely heroine takes center stage. It begins when two spies from Israel enter Rahab's home and they, quote, spend the night, hint, hint, wink, wink, implying these men may have had more than just scouting on their minds. And their visit, it does not go unnoticed. Word of these spies from the people of Israel reaches the ears of the king of Jericho. The king promptly dispatches emissaries to have the two men arrested, and they are sitting ducks trapped in the walls of Jericho, their indiscretion perhaps proving their undoing. Open up, the king's men say when they reach Rahab's doors. Bring out the men who have come to you. But then Rahab 
the one you would think would be a side character at best. She takes center stage. Rather than merely be acted upon, Rahab acts. Rather than merely listen, Rahab speaks. And with her actions and words, the story of God's people, the story of Israel entering the promised land, crucial in Israel's history, it turns on one surprising heroine. Rahab hides the two spies from Israel, and then she declares to the king's men, oh, you missed them. Yes, they were here, but they left the city walls before night fell. If you go after them right now, you just might catch them. Now, is Rahab being entirely honest here? No, but she's playing the role of the trickster, don't you see? Like the rabbit who uses the rabbit's wits to outsmart and ultimately defeat the superior strength of the lion. The king's men head off on a wild goose chase. Rahab then goes up to the roof, and to these two men she had hidden, she confesses faith in Israel's God, saying, The Lord your God is indeed God in heaven above and on earth below. She recounts the wondrous deeds, the awesome deeds of that God. And she then helps the pair escape, lowering them down from the roof with a rope before they leave. They tell her to hang a scarlet cord on her doorpost so that the death that will soon come to Jericho will pass by her family's home. That act, of course, putting a red cord on her window, that recalls the people of Israel marking their doors with the blood of a lamb. That way, you recall, when the plague bringing death to Egypt came their way, it would pass over those houses marked in red, those houses marked as those chosen for salvation by God. In other words, Rahab, the Canaanite prostitute, is portrayed as one of God's people, as one living out the great Passover story, trusting the God of Israel to deliver and save. She is one of God's people. Rahab is the very portrait of faithfulness. Her words express true devotion to God. Her actions represent attention to God's mission and purpose, not flawlessly, but faithfully nonetheless. She's the early embodiment of that glorious vision in Scripture where all people, Jew and Gentile alike, people of all lands and tongues, will know and partake in the goodness and blessing of God. You recall how God said to Abraham and Sarah before God sent them from their home to a new land, that promised land, that they are to go and God would bless them and through them. God would bring blessing to all nations of the earth. We get a glimpse of that vision happening with the faith confession and bold action of a most surprising heroine. In fact, the story of Rahab from Joshua 2 falling as it does so quickly on the heels of Joshua's commission, it's led some to question whether conquest is in fact the best motif with which to frame the whole book of Joshua. Some have wondered if this story of Rahab is not a snapshot of how the people of Israel truly entered the promised land, with a nomadic people called the Hebrew people, once enslaved in Egypt, reaching Canaan and joining forces with people like Rahab, socially marginal and disenfranchised residents of the region, eager to overthrow the oppressive kings like the king of Jericho. Together, Nomadic Hebrews and rebel Canaanites bring down oppressive forces like that king of Jericho and are united not by ancestry but by common obedience to God's law 
and God's liberating justice. Check out Norman Gottwald's magnum opus, The Tribes of Yahweh, if you're interested in that particular theory. But even if you see conquest as the dominant motif of Joshua from the very start, you have to give props to this unexpected heroine, don't you? The prostitute who proved those wicked people of Canaan could prove profoundly faithful. Today's passage coming immediately after God's call on Joshua alerts us, lest we lose it in the carnage that will follow, that God is ultimately a God of all peoples. And God ultimately has in mind the salvation of all peoples, the blessing of all peoples. We glimpse that grand and glorious vision in the most surprising of heroines. No wonder, no wonder that when Jesus the Christ, the very incarnation of God's love and mercy came to us, He would warn the most outwardly religious members of the Jewish people in His day, be careful about calling yourselves faithful insiders and calling prostitutes unfaithful outsiders. For the God of our Scriptures so often disrupts those categories and uses even the prostitute for wonderful purposes. Prostitutes, Jesus says, prostitutes will enter the kingdom before those who consider themselves exemplars of Jewish piety. God can do wonderful things. God can change the story of a people through a most surprising heroine. No wonder when we read of Jesus' genealogy in the book of Matthew, who should we find there but Rahab? She's there part of God's people, according to our New Testament, part of the family tree that brought us King David, and then Jesus, the second Joshua, the one who truly lived up to that great name, Yahweh saves. That's the meaning of Joshua. And to all who trust in that Savior from whatever background or people they might come, Canaanite or Israelite, God saves through the one we call Jesus the Christ. Now, now that we've looked at chapters 1 and 2 of Joshua, maybe you find chapter 1 more your scene. Maybe you've had one of those experiences like Joshua did, where a voice that seemed to come from heaven reached your ears and said, you I have called to leadership. You I have called to go on some great adventure. You are the one I call upon to be obedient to my word, and I will be with you wherever you go now and always. Maybe you felt it when you knelt on these chancel steps, when you were ordained or installed as a deacon, an elder, or a minister of word and sacraments. Or maybe the leadership mantle that fell on you was not church leadership, but rather leadership in an academic institution or a nonprofit or at your business, but somehow, some way, you felt the call. You knew you were in charge of other people, and you felt the weight of that. And so you prayed, and you heard God saying to you, be strong and courageous, be obedient to my will, and I will be with you on that adventure ahead. Maybe chapter 1 speaks profoundly to you. But maybe Joshua chapter 2 is more your speed. Maybe the story of some ancient hero of God's people called and commissioned to lead a people off to new lands, well, that feels pretty far from where you are. 
Maybe you feel more like a person trying to just make ends meet, trying to feed your family, make it from one day to the next with no heroic image of yourself or your call from God. Maybe you feel pretty far from those corridors where rulers are coronated or dethroned or where decisions are made that affect whole groups of people. Your arena of life and faith, it might be your house. That might be where the center of activity in your life takes place. But still, right where you live, right in the thick of it, in an ordinary day, a knock came to your door. And some invitation to be part of God's glorious work in the world, it fell in your lap. You could have said no. You could have kept the door shut, fearing the risk was too great to let emissaries from God strangers, angels in disguise come in, but you said yes. You confessed faith, saying words like, the Lord God is indeed God of heaven and earth below. You offered yourself to be of some small service to the God who had come to your door. You were willing to play some part in God's kingdom of proclaiming good news, of worshiping the Lord, of healing the sick, welcoming the stranger, challenging injustice, teaching others the scriptures, and the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe it's chapter 2 that speaks most to you, and you realize the truth firsthand in your own body and spirit. God can, God does do amazing things through the surprising heroine. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, amen.